0: Welcome to All About Art. My name is Alexandra, and I'm an art historian, curator, and writer. Within this podcast, topics relating to art history, cultural policy, the art sector, as well as a large range of other art-related topics will be covered. Conducting critical discussions, having entertaining exchanges, or just enjoying some relaxing chats? All About Art is where you'll find it all. Join me in exploring and developing cultural discourse. Welcome to another episode of All About Art. This one is episode 50, and I sat down with Millie Jason Foster, director of Gillian Jason Gallery here in London. The gallery works with female identifying artists, taking an intergenerational approach while presenting exhibitions about themes relevant in today's society. The gallery has a long history, with 40 years of experience in exhibiting work by artists from beyond the white male canon. Listen on to hear me ask Millie about running a gallery with her mother, Ellie, as well as continuing her grandmother's legacy. We talk about her approach to supporting artists and a tip from me in advance is that having a notepad to hand will be useful for this episode because Millie shares so much of her expertise, giving structured advice to artists and explaining the way in which her strategic thinking benefits her business. She also talks about her background in investment banking her approach to collecting, as well as more personal topics such as maintaining a work-life balance and making time for herself. Thank you, Millie, for coming on the podcast and sharing your amazing advice and expertise. Thank you to our sponsors at Synergy Associates, the Artworld Tech Gurus, for supporting this episode's production at their clubhouse on Pall Mall. You can find more about Synergy and their facilities in the show notes. Before I dive in, I wanted to let you lovely listeners know that All About Art is on Patreon. So if you want some behind-the-scenes content, maybe a bit of merch, the chance to get one-on-ones with me and my guests, or you're simply wanting to support this project, I would be absolutely thrilled if you decided to sign up. You can do so through the link in the show notes. I also wanted to say thank you to those who have already signed up. Your support means the world and it makes the further production, improvement and growth of the podcast possible. And for that, I'm incredibly grateful. And now, on to the interview. Welcome to the podcast, Millie. Thank you. I am so thrilled that we were able to get together for an episode. You are the director of Gillian Jason Gallery, a contemporary art gallery in London that focuses on art by women and non-binary artists. I want to start the episode off by asking you to delve into the interesting history of the gallery's intergenerational connections to the arts, starting off with who the gallery is named after, Gillian Jason.
1: Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. I'm really pleased to be here. (laughs) Uh, Gillian Jason is my grandmother, and I am hugely proud to run a gallery in her name, Gillian founded the gallery in the 1980s. She was a, a ballet dancer. With the Royal Ballet, which is how she met my grandfather um, when he was uh, performing in *A Midsummer Night's Dream*. So they have a they have kind of a beautiful love story. They met very young. I know (laughs) they met. um, They met very young. My grandmother was born and raised in Birmingham, and as she got older, every day instead of going to turning right to go to school, she'd turn left to go to ballet school. So she had this extraordinary upbringing in the arts. And so after she had children, they were living in a house in Camden town and she decided that she didn't want to go back to dancing. And at the time she had lots of friends who were in the London group and the borough group and so on and had a big, there was a big community of Jewish emigres of which my parents were were part of, my grandparents. And so she decided to open a gallery in the ground floor in their townhouse and deal in now what is modern British art. So my grandmother at the time was extraordinarily pioneering in what she was doing. Mm -hmm. Insofar as she would exhibit husband and wives together. So David Bomberg, for example, she would always exhibit with his wife, Lillian Holt, who she helped uh, to be acquired by the Tate in the 90s. So Gillian always had this extraordinary Vision towards how women in the arts should be presented and represented. So, when she retired a few years ago, my mother Ellie and I decided to take on Gillian Jason Gallery and reopen it on Great Titfield Street with a view to solely championing up by women and bring the ideas that Gillian, my grandmother, had always championed into the 21st century.
0: Yeah, that actually brings me directly into my next question, because now that we know a bit more about the inception of Gillian Jason Gallery, could you tell me more about what your mission is today and why you decided to champion developing emerging artists' careers instead of, say, continuing fully in the secondary market?
1: There are a few reasons we decided to do that firstly I'm one of five sisters um and (laughs) with a huge um female presence in my family we're all aged between my youngest is 15 all the way up to 35 so there's a huge range of us all trying to find our way as women today and that's also really important to my mom who is you know helping and guiding us towards doing that so when it came to where we'd put our focus. Although we wanted to champion a lot of women that my grandmother had collected, um, dealt in, supported, championed, we decided actually that there are still so many women coming up into the art world today who not only need guidance on how to best take their career forwards, but also they need longevity in their career. And that's something that women in the past have not been afforded. So, when we started dealing in uh, art by women, we wanted to help guide careers straight from art school. And so, instead of being extraordinarily fated at the beginning of their career and then, you know, found at the end again with a lull in the middle, we want to help women have that stable trajectory all the way through. And I think that you can't just you know, delve in with modern British art and dealing in secondary market and say that you're championing women without giving a nod to today's contemporary issues.
0: Yeah. While you were answering my previous question, you spoke about not only exhibiting women artists but also helping them develop their careers and and further them so in that same vein I want to talk about art collecting and I want to look at it from both an artist's perspective as well as a collector's point of view what do you see is the biggest issue in that area of the sector today and how can collectors and artists possibly go about navigating that to create kind of you know a better sector and more like a healthier approach to it
1: It's a really good question and one that uh, Ellie and I delve into almost on a daily basis. Not only when I'm talking to artists, but also talking to collectors, trying to strategize how we best support the artists that we represent. I think that there's an overarching theme that needs to be addressed, which is always how to unite artists and their work with collectors who really care about the themes and concepts that artists are talking about. Yeah. In this market, in the emerging market, for sure there is a lot of speculation and a lot of risk taking.
0: Yeah, speculation can really harm mm-hmm. an artist's career in the long term, can't it?
1: Totally. It's it's a huge issue, you know, you have to make sure that prices don't go up too fast or you don't have clients flipping works and so on. The crux of it I see is threefold. One is pricing, two is investment, and three is status. With pricing, delving into it on the artist side, it's a lot about, you know, especially when they're coming out of art school, where do artists start? What is your baseline price for, you know, a work that's a metre by metre? How does it work when it's smaller? How does it work when it's bigger? What medium are you painting in or creating? So there's a lot of market comparison That goes into how I look at where an artist should start with their pricing. And that market comparison also looks at trying to marry up works with collectors who really care about them. Something I always say that's really important when you're looking at how to price an artwork. You can't price it so high that you take yourself out of the running of being able to sell your work. Mm -hmm. But you can't price it so low as that it's no longer taken seriously. Yeah. And that little crux and turning point is it, like
0: a, it's like a little sweet spot. It is. It's a sweet <laughs> spot. I want to call
1: it like the golden, uh, the golden moment.
0: That's what I want. Um, or the the golden ratio. Isn't exactly. That
1: like- <laughs> yeah. The golden ratio. Let's add some art history in there. Um, so, but then from the client side, and it really goes into that as well. From a collector side, what is reasonable? and you know that's what we're going into before when I'm pricing it for the artist I also have to think about the collector who is their collector base going to be what age are they what are they trying to achieve by collecting the work and so on because if you price it incorrectly you also might push a painting towards the wrong sort of clients and that really goes into you know point two which is all about investment yeah artists have to really look out for who they're selling to. And the problem is when you're very new, it's not your job. Your job is to paint. And the reason that the age-old relationship between artist and gallery, previously it was artist and patron, but now artist and gallery exists is because artists should be the people who create the work, delve into that. And gallerists are the people who create a space for the work to be seen, marketed and appreciated. And actually, when an artist tries to do everything, it's too stressful. I can't paint. Like, there's a reason that, you know, that line exists. I can make deals. I can, you know, price an artwork. Ask me to draw a stick, man, and I'll do you a pretty good one. But beyond that, you know, one of the reasons I'm in the art world is because I have a very process-driven brain. But... I'm able to use that in an area where I can appreciate how other artists create. And every time I see a new artist go on a studio visit, I get to see the world from a whole different perspective. So going back to the point that artists need to paint and create. And that's what they're really there for. I'm using paint in really quite a loose term because, you know, there's sculpture and there's a lot of things that go into that, a lot of different mediums. But... Going back to that point, it's about making sure that your work is at a price that won't be flipped. Yeah. Because you have to be sure as an artist, if you're not yet working with a gallery, who are you selling to? Who's on that list? Where are your paintings? Because when you come back in five or 10 years, you want to know where everything is. And that's really important. With flipping, we go through a lot of hoops to make sure that we know who our clients are. We know why our clients want to buy a painting. And ultimately, we know that that client is going to love it and not sell it in six months' time because they can get a good value on, on the secondary market. Yeah. With collectors, though, it's also an issue because you want to, I think especially young collectors, you want to find something that you love, but you want to find something that's also going to either maintain its value or at least increase a little bit. And I'm a big believer that not, you know, you don't have everything forever. And a painting that you buy because it's important for you today is not necessarily so important to you in five years. You've got different issues, you're, you've got a different outlook on life. So, you, you know, you have to be able to change up your collection and you only have so much wall space as well. So you have to be able to change up your collection and say, OK, I've had this for five years. I will have this for a minimum of five years. How will that reflect in terms of value? Where is this artist going? And so going back to the point of collecting as an investment, that angle is really important and I don't think can be sidelined in this current art world especially with emerging artists
0: i think that your three points were like gold dust now for both artists and for collectors Mm. so what did you have you had pricing you had investment and then you had status status so i've
1: got a bit off track oh (laughs) oh so are we going to come back to status? we can come back to status then
0: um yeah i I don't want to interrupt you too much now i just wanted to say that like this is so important i think as i said for both sides Mm. and like if an artist is listening in right now then one of the key takeaways i think from this is Find a gallerist or someone to work with that you can trust in that regard that you feel like has that same, is on your same wavelength when it comes to that and has those interests, because I think that's so incredibly important for the longevity of your career. And if you're a gallerist listening in or someone who's an emerging gallerist or someone who wants to go into that direction... And it's important to keep in mind that these are the things you need to focus on in order to push your artists careers in order to support not only them, but also the market and the sector in general. And I think, you know, all of these things are so important. We have this idea of like intrinsic value when it comes to our artworks and what either what we own, what we love or what artists create like for themselves. And I think that that's a very idealistic way of looking at it. But if when it, we boil it down, it's like we also as collectors look into as you say, the investment side of things, where is this artist going to be in five years? Where am I going to be in five years? How is this going to look? Because if you're spending, let's say between a few thousand pounds to a few tens of thousands of pounds to sometimes a few hundreds of thousands of pounds, depending on what level you're at as a collector, you're not going to want it just because it looks nice. I totally
1: agree. I think when you purchase a piece of art nowadays, not only does it have to look nice, but it has to resonate with you. Yeah. And in a market where there is so much artwork, so much to talk about, so many themes, concepts, socially important ideas emerging, you have to align yourself. Where does your passion lie? Mm -hmm. And which artwork speaks to you? Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter what, your taste is and sometimes I get collectors who say to me well can I buy an abstract piece and then can I buy a figurative piece like what what does that mean does it work in my home and actually when you have everything together and you can see it it's your taste it's your personality and that all fits together so when you're talking about purchasing artworks that are important it doesn't matter what they look like as long as you love them and they resonate And that's, you know, that's where the best art lies, actually. Going back to a point you mentioned about artists and relationships with galleries, Mm -hmm. what I often think about it is um, is dating, actually. And if you think about it as dating, the way I like to do it is I do a few group shows with an artist before we decide whether we want to go any further with our dating life. And... um, it, it enables an artist to see if they like working with the gallery and vice versa, because it's really important to have an equal relationship. And I've spoken to a lot of artists where they go, well, I just do what I'm told. And I don't think that always flies and it shouldn't really be like that. If you did that in a relationship, people would go, whoa, whoa, that's a little yeah, bit toxic. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And actually you have to think about it as having your own autonomy. And if you think about it as a pyramid You have the artist studio is the pinnacle. It's at the top and everything comes below that. Because like I said in the beginning, gallerist, you might like art. You can't paint like the artist can. That is the true talent right there. So you start at the top of the triangle and then you come down. So you have the artist, then you have the gallery, then you might have, you know art advisors who you work with and so on so it it begins to flow outwards but everything comes from the artist at the top the artist says you know i'd like to paint 10 pieces that's it that's all i want and the gallerist might say please could we have 15 because we need to fill the space and we have 15 collectors and we think it's better for your career and then you know what you decide between you it's a partnership it's a relationship and that's really important because you also have to paint what you believe. And I've heard a lot of artists say, well, you know, my gallerist told me that red paintings are better than blue paintings for me. So I'm just going to do red. And you have to be true to yourself because otherwise, those red paintings that you painted because it made you money that year, they're not the ones that are going to have longevity in your career because eventually the artist will go, but I don't love red paintings. I love blue paintings. Yeah. So, you know, on a very, on a very basic level, um, as much as that, um, example was quite basic, it's,
0: no, I think, I think it's good to have yeah. those basic examples because but, it, 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 that way people can kind of take what they can from these very general, very like boiled down examples. It's, mm. it's important. It's important to talk about.
1: Good. Because I often explain, um, I often explain it like that to mm. artists as well, because, I really support having a long-term relationship and I think with artists and I think the art world fares best with relationships. That's how it's built and that's how it's run, which is not always a good thing, actually. Um, You know, when it comes to my third point, which is status, if we want to go back to that. Yes. Because, so the three things I had, you know, with art collecting were pricing, investment and status. Mm -hmm. And we've gone over the first two, but status is something that really... You know, can bulldoze artists and collectors, new artists and new collectors, which is also why I work a lot in the emerging market, because it's something that needs a lot of work in terms of how to support the next generation. And so in terms of artists, status for me looks at who should that artist be selling to, which collections are going to be important for their careers which collectors are going to be important for their careers and in terms of that what I mean is I always explain that an artist's CV is really important and in this world it is built up of where is your artwork based who has collected it which residencies have you gone on and so on but for the point of collecting you Have collectors who will love and support your work. And that circle becomes really important to you. Who is behind you with your concepts? Who is going to put you forwards to go on a residency? That group of collectors is really important. But that really leads on to my second point within status, which is collecting for those who are new to the art world. And those collectors, I think, have a really hard time. A lot of the time. Because when they might be trying to access a world outside of, you know, their job in finance or consulting or law or whatever it is, when they want to have a creative outlet and they want to support artists that they love, you know, they might go to art fairs and they say, hi, is this available? And a lot of the time I've seen, you know, very emerging collector friends of mine just not even get the time of day because they don't, in the gallery's eyes, have a CV and a roster of people they've collected before. So it it becomes very chicken and egg because a gallery will say, well, it's really important that we get this artist with this collector. Who do you have in your collection? And if you're just starting out, you go to the bottom of the list. So you also have to find your people as a collector, which galleries want to work with you, which galleries want to help you build a beautiful collection. And in that way actually you're also dating you know you're the artist in the gallery is dating but the gallery and the client are also dating and that relationships I I think are really important to then create a holistic ecosystem and putting those collectors and artists together to actually have the really valuable conversations.
0: I feel like throughout listening to you I was like, oh my gosh, I wish I had like a notepad. I want to take notes. I mean, this is my (laughs) podcast, so obviously I've got this audio. So if I ever need to revert back to this, um, I can. But I feel like this was such a valuable and structured answer in looking at that and breaking that down into pieces that we can actually analyze and think about because we're kind of going in that more business minded direction a little bit. I wanted to ask you how your background in investment banking and tech startups influences the way that you run your gallery. Because I'm sure it might, you know, for people who don't know you, uh, it might surprise listeners to hear that you have that background. But I'm sure that it must have an impact, no?
1: It definitely does have an impact.
0: What is really
1: wonderful is to be able to work with my mother, Ellie, and to be co-directors together. Ellie has a background in... Auction Houses used to work at Christie's before she then went into the film production world. And we as a team can really play to our strengths. So Ellie has a huge creative brain and can visualise creatively with artists on studio visits what their artwork should look like, which direction they should be going in, how to develop their brushstrokes and so on. And that applies to the gallery as well. Where are we going? What shows are we going to put on? How are we going to curate this to our best ability? My strength in that partnership lies in process and structurally driven activities. So I feel very lucky to have a background in startups and investment banking because, you know, I can do everything from... Stuff that I love that other people just loathe VAT returns and accounting. <laughs> What's yeah. wrong with you?
0: When so you I, say VAT returns, like, honestly, <laughs> I mean, spreadsheets is one thing, but VAT returns, honestly, <laughs> it but, but but actually, it
1: is the core to running a business,
0: yeah. It and
1: is. a lot of people hate it, really loathe having to do those things. And I believe that no. No matter what I'm doing, no matter where the gallery goes, no matter how much time I have in the day, managing your finances is the only way to run a business. Yeah. And from my banking days, you know, I was there when Carillion, a big construction company, folded and they were... um, They were in the news a lot because it was about not paying people on time, not paying their suppliers, having a backlog and things like cash flow. If Mm -hmm. you don't run it properly, you know, artists have it with their studio. You have to time paying your studio, paying for your studio rent. You have to time when you're going to buy new materials. Yeah. But you also have to manage when the gallery is going to pay you because at the other side of it, the gallery is going, we have to time when we pay the artist. We have to time when we pay our rent. We have to time when we pay for shipping. And all of those things, if you don't have a brain that goes, okay, how am I going to fit all these puzzle pieces together? It falls really quickly. Yeah. So from my background in investment banking, it's been hugely helpful to learn from companies within the industry, how we functioned but then also how to move that forward. So as much as it's boring, I think it's really important. Um, <laughs> and then on the other side of it was startups. Um, I, when I left banking, I went to go and work for a tech startup for a year as chief of staff. And working directly with a CEO in a brand new company was hugely fast-paced, hugely rewarding, always messy. Um, and I think, it's, I think that's how startups have to function and when you're running a new gallery you know the name of jason gallery is is a is an old one in london but the idea and the rebrand towards focusing solely on female identifying artists is a new one and so we have an old name with a startup mentality mm-hmm. and that has its positives and negatives but on the positive side working with a startup has enabled me to take a lot of those intricacies in terms of strategy and uh, growth methods and apply it to a completely different industry.
0: Yeah. Oh man. I think that that just sounds like you, like it, because we were talking about like there are positives and negatives to that, but like when you have this quite uh well-known name, like this established name within the art world in London, but then you have that um, new mentality. I think that that actually, like in my personal opinion, not from a business point of view, but from an outsider's point of view, looking at the sector, I'm all for like developing the sector innovation. I'm all for looking at things from a new perspective to then cater to new audiences or fit to um, the direction which our society, in which the market, in which uh, the, the art world in general is is moving. And I think that that sounds, that, that sounds really good. Like, I'm just feeling very inspired. Oh, I'm good. <laughs> um, on a personal note, because you mentioned it earlier, you run the gallery with your mother, Ellie. How is that dynamic, may I ask? Not just from, like, the professional point of view with, you know, how you said that she has more of the creative brain and you have more of that analytical side. What's it like not only working with your mother, but like fully running that business and like having that on on a personal level?
1: It's an excellent question. And actually, one, I get quite a lot because I think most people go, oh, I could never work with my mother. (laughs) Um, And it's funny, actually, because Ellie Ellie talks about that a lot because people say, you know, did you run the gallery with Gillian? Yeah. And Ellie, I call her Ellie at work and mum at home. And actually, that's a point that I'll talk about. But um, Ellie grew up in the gallery space and she always complains. She says she used to come home and, you know, the beautiful artwork that she'd be looking at for two years on the wall would be gone. And she'd be like, where is it? I I loved that piece. And grandma would say, well, do you want food on the table or you don't (laughs) want food on the table? (laughs) Um, So, you know, and actually Ellie always said she didn't want to do paperwork. And she saw how much paperwork my grandmother used to do. And so she just thought, you know, I'm going to go into the art world, perhaps work at Christie's for a bit. But I don't want to work with my mother. Ellie still doesn't do paperwork. I do the paperwork. (laughs) So she's managed to get away with that her whole life. But um, I want to be like Ellie when I grow up. Me too, actually. Me too. No, she's fabulous. I, I love working with her because before we started the gallery, we'd call each other every day and have a gossip. Now we call each other every day, do a little bit of work and have a gossip. So um, on a foundational level, our relationship hasn't really changed. We've always been very close. And I also think what works really well is that our skills are different. We can work in different areas of the business without clashing, without overlapping. And I think with that, it's important for any partnership in a startup in a gallery in you know a financial world wherever you're working you need to partner with someone who has different but complementary skills so you know sometimes we bicker usually about if we like an artist or not <laughs> but actually we have similar tastes similar ideas because you know ellie raised me so we have shared outlooks on life, which I think really help us run a business supporting art by women that is hopefully a successful one. And when we argue, actually, if we argue, we don't take that home. We have established very, I think, efficient ways to keep that separate. People often get confused because if I talk about
0: mum at work, she's always Ellie. And people go, who's Ellie? Your mother? Why don't you just call her your mother? But actually, I noticed that you did that. And I I kind of Fully understood why you were doing that, like when you did that, and because mm. I was like, yeah, I mean, that makes so much sense mm. that you call her
1: Ellie. I think it's, I think it's a really important, you know, a lot of people work f- with their romantic partner, and you have to not be, you have to be able to not take things home. Yeah, and so at work she's Ellie, at home she's mum, and in my head I've been able to, you know, switch that on and off. We have different group chats on WhatsApp for work and different group chats on whatsapp for family life even down to the fact that ellie and i have a group chat it's just me and her called gjg business so instead of going on our personal channel we go on our work channel and that in that way we're able to completely differentiate am i talking to mum or am i talking to my business partner and that's also really important to have in any business relationship when it goes outside of those realms as well
0: Yeah, I think that that's really interesting and a really good piece of advice for anyone who is thinking about working with someone who is close to them on a personal level as well. So this is my penultimate question, and it's another personal one, but I know that you and I both struggle with this. How do you maintain a work-life balance? It's such like a typical question to ask, isn't it? But I'm sure that directing a gallery comes with commitments to artists, to collectors, to peers in the sector, as well as, of course, your personal life to friends and family. What would be a tip that you would give someone from your toolkit to manage all of that?
1: I think it's important for me to start off by saying that I haven't always done it successfully. (laughs) I've listened to so many of these podcasts and they go, well, I've always aced this. This is why I've aced my business. It's not the case. I have to really carefully manage my work-life balance because oftentimes in the past, I've gotten it really wrong. And on top of that, a lot of people today, we're connected all the time and on our phones and that gives me that can give me a lot of social anxiety as well so not only have I managed it incorrectly in the past but also still today I get social anxiety about going to 10 things in a week it's stressful you have oh, to talk God. to a lot of people yeah so I think people shouldn't be afraid to say that and I think people shouldn't be afraid to share that side of how difficult it can be In terms of how I try to manage it, I have to really carefully pick and choose what I go to. And people do it a lot of different ways. If you're, I know art advisors who don't want to go to the very swanky preview party with champagne and to talk to people. They go in the day when it's quiet because they just need to see the art. There are lots of different ways that people handle things. In terms of how I handle them, I have almost stopped completely working weekends if i'm busy four to five nights a week going to openings seeing people uh, visiting artists having client dinners if i'm doing all of that i need time to switch off so although you know there might be an auction brunch on a sunday or a late night opening on a saturday i have to be very strict with myself when am i going to see my friends when am I going to stay at home and do absolutely nothing? How am I going to stop getting FOMO? And that's a big thing as well. A huge thing. Huge. I have it so bad. And, and you know, people get it badly as well because if you're working to grow your own business, you need to be out there seeing as many people as possible and for them to be seeing your face. Yeah. But at some point, the FOMO has to stop because if you do it at the weekends, if you do it seven days a week, you'll burn out and then no one's gonna see your face for two months. And I learned that the hard way, for sure. Because if you are always go, 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 your body then tells you you need, to, you need to stop, stop, stop. And that's just the way it is. So you have to be able to manage it. And the other thing is, you don't need to stay somewhere all night. My trick of the week, you only need to go to see the people you want to see. So before I go into a room, I say, okay, what am I here to do? What is my aim? If I don't have an aim, and it's just for chatting. It's because I want to be social. Otherwise, what is my aim? Which pieces of artworks do I need to see? Which artists do I want to congratulate? Which collectors do I really want to touch base with? Because I haven't seen them in a while. Make those three to five aims. Once you're done, get out. Because otherwise, you know, unless you're having fun, you're just going to burn out.
0: I think that I need to take a lot of that into my own way of doing things because as I'm growing in my career as well, I'm getting invited to more things and um, there are more events that I want to go to. And I've definitely not mastered taking the whole weekend off. I always work on Mondays. I mean, we're sitting here on Mm -hmm. a Monday recording a podcast because I have Sundays and Mondays off. So that's always the easiest way for me to do it. Um, But I do try to do Sundays without as much as I possibly can, like without doing admin, without doing like art world things. But that's definitely something I need to work on. And then mindfully going into an event. I think that that's so good. And I'm going to start doing that where I'm going to think about who do I want to congratulate? Because I've definitely gone to places and like, okay, who do I want to see? Who do I want to congratulate? And then think about kind of safeguarding my own time and my own evening and my own rest. Because it's, It's so incredibly important. I really appreciate you sharing that. Thank you. Finally, a fun question to end the episode. I ask all of the guests who come on the podcast, if you could pick one artist from art history to have dinner with, who would it be and why? I
1: knew you were going to ask me this question. (laughs) (laughs) And it's been a real struggle trying to decide. Um, There are so many artists I could sit down with, but one that... I actually want to highlight is someone called Evelyn de Morgan, who was a prolific painter at the end of the pre-Raphaelite period of art. It's not one that I deal in. It's not one that, that you know, a lot of people talk about, but it's a period that I absolutely love for its breakaway from traditional Victorian era of painting and for the, you know, at the time, quite rebellious nature within the art world but Evelyn De Morgan is one of the only women within the pre-Raphaelite movement there are others but I love not only her work but who she was as a person she was extraordinarily hard working from the age of about 17 she completely shunned the idea of having to enter society I think there's a quote somewhere that said that you know if she was asked to uh, come out into society she would kick the queen so, <laughs> so there's all this kind of like the, there are all these kind of great rebellious ideas around who she was um but later in life she really took that into painting these extraordinarily beautiful kind of spiritualist and feminist scenes mm-hmm. extraordinarily detailed she's someone who took an inordinate amount of time and effort into the, every single work that she produced of a beautiful woman from, uh, you know, Greco-Roman mythology or Shakespeare or another spiritualist idea of, you know, tarot cards and things like that. But whatever she was producing, it always had something important to say. And her much later works, she took into the ideas of... Well, she took into her pacifist ideas and started painting pieces that were representative of her campaign against the Boer War and then World War 1 and so on. And within all of this, she's a Pre-Raphaelite woman or she's a woman who was part of the Pre-Raphaelite movement who is only really in a very few UK institutions. Yeah. And when you look at the other pre-raphaelite artist Gabriel Rossetti, who just had you know a a big retrospective at the tate among other Rossetti's in the family or george frederick watts who was a good friend of evelyn morgan they're so well known internationally in the pre-raphaelite movement and this extraordinary female painter who was just as skilled is you know not so well known and she has her own foundation now but is it on the same level no. no, And that completely takes me back to what I'm doing today. So I would love to sit down with her to be able to talk about those ideas, talk about how she forged her path
0: within the pre-Raphaelite movement. Amazing. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I've learned about a new artist that I didn't know, which actually really upsets me because when I first came to London and uh, it was 2017 and it was my first year at UCL. And they had us do, uh, they had us write an exhibition review. And they told us, you know, this is how you do it. This is what you have to look at. And I went into the National Gallery because at that time they had an exhibition on the Pre-Raphaelites. And do you think that for one second that she would have been in that show? Nope. no. No, it was all men. I only wrote about men. And this is something that, you know, we're becoming increasingly more aware of. And it's such an important thing. So thank you so much for sharing that. And I'll link the artist or like information to the artist in the show notes so that people can go check her out. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> thank you so much for coming. <laughs> Thanks on for on having the me. Podcast. I've loved it. And that is it for today on All About Art. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave me a rating or a review as it helps more people discover the show. Also, feel free to share with your friends, or if you share on social media, tag me and get in touch. Thank you so much for listening.